The Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. How are you this morning? You're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. And as most of you know, you can listen to us every Wednesdays from 10 to 11 Eastern Time live. And at the end of the day, we archive the show. So today, I have two guests. Uh, first guest coming up is Crystalline Karazen. She's author of Swirling, How to Date, Mate, and Relate, Mixing Race, Culture, and Creed. Uh, second guest is also an author, and her new book is How to Save Your Daughter's Life, Straight Talk for Parents from America's Top Criminal Profiler, Pat Brown. Uh, but first guest is here in the studio, on the air with us, not in the studio, but Crystalline Karazen, uh, author of Swirling. And uh, she's a journalist, and she's co-authored this book with Janice Rochelle Littlejohn, who's also a, uh, a journalist. Uh, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Oh, thank you for having me. And also, I want to mention you have a website too that uh, is very po- website, and you're a blogger, which is uh, yes. yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, so the website is called Beyond Black and White, but the uh, URL is beyondblackwhite.com. Okay, great. Well, I just I just finished the book yesterday. Um, <laughs> in the nick of time, right? Uh, yeah, it's a great book because well, that's what we're going to talk about today, right? Um, swirling. Well, first, I guess, what does swirling mean? Let's talk about the title of the book because that will kind of give us an overview of what we're going to be talking about. Well, swirling is sort of, and we and we we had fun with it because we we have a definition of it at the beginning of the book. It's a romantic blending of um, of two people who are of different races coming together, and you know, so and it's called swirling. It's it's like ice cream. You know, we, it's a delicious combination, a fusion. It's the ice cream that I think I used to get when I was a kid because I couldn't decide whether, and this fits your book, whether I wanted black or white, so I got the mix, <laughs> right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I, that's the best of both. Well, um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, now, swirling has to do with, obviously, with, well, let's be more specific, let's about dating black women dating white men, Right. Yes, yeah, we we mainly uh we, we focused on that, but we we really were talking we expanded it to um other races and cultures. It's not just about why whenever we talk about interracial relationships, what we find is that people automatically use that as their default, black and white. But there's all you know with it's same with rolling ice cream, there's you know, vanilla and strawberry, strawberry and chocolate, <laughs> you know. I mean, there's so many different combinations. So um, you know, we we do talk a lot about that because that's really a, what we see. Um, what we see the most. I am African American, and um, my husband is white. So I wanted to to talk about my experiences and write about them. You know, the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs. 
Yeah, and you do that, and it's because I like when it, that's one thing about the book. It's personal as well as giving like you know uh, kind of a how-to book. Like if you decide you want to, uh, you're I mean, you're black and you want to date a white man, um, which this is this is something that. I, I didn't realize that you mentioned in the book, um, and probably I should give this statistic as well. You said that seventy-eight, seventy percent of pro- professional black women are unmarried, compared to forty-five percent of comparable white women, which is an yes. interesting statistic. Um, why is that? There's a variety of reasons, um, and that could be a whole other show. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of things that are going on in the in the African American community that are affecting that number. And um, one is that we um, we outnumber black men um, by two million, which is a problem. There's also... When you say you outnumber them, are you saying professional women or you're just saying women in general? Marriageable men, again, we're saying we outnumber them in terms of uh, of finding someone who's comparable and who is is marriageable. And that means someone who, you know, is, you know, employed, hasn't been to jail, you know, all these things. And um, unfortunately, what we're seeing in the community is that there is... You know, there's a high chance for, you know, uh, uh, in comparison to other races, a high chance for African-American men to uh, go to jail. There's a high chance that I think only 50% of African-American boys graduate from high school. Um, they're also, you know, because of, you know, issues with, you know, gang violence and things like that. Um, so you have all of these combi- all these combinations that affect that number. So it doesn't bode well for an African-American woman who is well-educated, professional, middle, upper middle class. Uh, there isn't, what you're saying is, and you say this in the book, I guess, that there just aren't a lot of men out there who fit the bill. Absolutely. And, then, yeah. and, and, and that, that really is what it goils on. And then also, there's, <laughs> here's another frightening statistic. Um, just, Recently, USA Today came out with a report that 80% of black children born um, are born uh, to unmarried black women. Um, for their first, the first children are unmarried. So, um, 80% of black women who have their first child are not married. Um, that's staggering. Yeah, that is absolutely 80, staggering. Yeah. And um, part of the reason is that um, you know if you, there, there was a book that was that that came out a few a few years ago called "Is Marriage for White People" and it was written by Ralph Richard Banks. And it, no, it's it, not because I was divorced twenty five <laughs> years ago. Well, but here's the thing, though: um, a lot of African American people think that is for white people. Yeah. I mean, they don't. I mean, we now are in three, four generations where. Parents are unmarried. Um, kids are born into single parents. Um, we do have a lot. We do have a big problem with fractured families in, in our community. And so, if a black woman really is marriage-minded and wants to get married and uh, wants to have children, you know, within wedlock, um, it's it's necessary to open that pool, or you're going to end up, you know, fighting tooth and nail for the few men who fit that bill in our community. So, and, and also you point out in the book, um, and I think this is an important point to make, that you have, you're kind of set up for that with your, like the women in the family, like say mothers or grandmothers, you know, you're supposed to be the superwoman. And yeah. so you're supposed to take care of everything. And so black women end up 
fulfilling that prophecy. I know that's a generalization, but um, and then they, I think you point out, will end up kind of marrying or having as a partner, even if you're not married, somebody who is they have to take care of. That they're the yes. ones. Yeah, exactly. And you know, a lot of times. Black women will shun that. They'll say, you know what, I've got a kid, I don't need a grown kid. You know, yeah. there's um, issues with unemployment and, I mean, there's just, a, you know, there, there are a lot of issues that contribute to um, black women. So, and we talk about that um, in the book and there's actually a syndrome and I had no, I had no idea it's called Sojourner Syndrome and it's sort of this, um, uh, uh, it's a, it, it's, it's a theory that African American women have are, are put upon so much to carry so much that they um, they it, it, it's so stressful for them. The stress comes out in so many different ways, whether it's you know um, overeating or um, you know being short with the children or um, having anxiety and all these issues um, because there is a high expectation for black women to to take on so much. And the fact of the matter is is that what we're seeing is there's a a lot of of unreported mental health issues that are associated with that. Yeah, and I would imagine uh, obviously not just mental health but physical you started to, you know, overeating um high blood pressure. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of diabetes, stuff goes, diabetes, um, stroke, yeah. all of those things are interrelated. Absolutely. All right, well, so now let's take this is the perfect time to talk about you because obviously you saw that or felt that or had an understanding of this in some way because you decided this is what I'm not for me. I'm going to, you know, I'm I'm going to date a, a white man. Um so what happened? Well, you know, the the, the thing was for me it wasn't that I sat out and said I'm going to date a white man. <laughs> I what I set out to do, you called was, up your girlfriends and you said I want to tell you something, I'm going to date a white man. <laughs> You no, know, actually, I said to myself, I said, yeah. you know, um, I pr- prior to meeting my husband, I had this list, and I had this picture in my mind of what, you know, my ideal man was going to look like, and he was going to be tall and dark and handsome, and brains were optional, and all this, <laughs> and 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 what I realized that my list, the things that I put on, were so superficial. Um, had nothing to do with that person's character. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to just look for not a white man or a black man, but a good man. Uh-huh. And um, that's what I set out to do. And I didn't care if he was going to be pink with purple polka dots. I was going to give that guy a chance. And when I did that, I, I did find my husband. We've been married for over 10 years, and he happens to be white, and he's really cute, you know. I mean, I didn't have to go with somebody who was pink with purple polka dots. <laughs> <laughs> polka dots are in, by the way, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so um, married 10 years and, and beautiful kids, because I actually went online and I saw pictures of your, of your kids. Um, I, I'm not sure what website it was, but anyway, so you um, so you have you have one daughter by a previous marriage? Yeah, uh, actually, it was never married. Um, and that's a whole story. When we talk about that in the book, I dated um, this this man who had said, you know, hey, I want to get married. And, you know, eventually we'd, you know, I was in college and, uh-oh, 
you know, I find out that I'm pregnant. Uh-huh. And he says to me, um, just because you're pregnant doesn't mean I have to marry you. And, of course, he thought that because his father never married his mother. Um, he has a half-brother who is nine months younger than him from another woman <laughs> who lived in the same neighborhood as his mother at the time. So this was the legacy that was brought upon him. So when I got pregnant, it didn't it didn't make sense to him. It didn't seem like it was something that he felt necessary. Um, I, on the other hand, came from an intact family, and uh, it was humiliating for me. It was it, it it's not what I wanted, not just for myself but for my child. I wanted my child to be born in. Um, you know, married. You know, with me being married, um, I felt like I, I owed that to her. I felt like I let her down. Um, but what really changed things for me was when she was born, and what I decided that I wanted to do was I wanted to pick someone who I wanted her, who who I would want her to be with. And so all of a sudden, all of the petty things that. Um, that I used to qualify for a good mate went out the window because I used that as a template. Would I want my daughter to be with this man? And um, so that really was a great correction for me. That changed the course for my life. Yeah, and it sounds like you start kind of like you didn't become a victim to these kinds of circumstances. Like this was just going to this this whole thing that you talk about in the book of of uh, you know being with somebody who you obviously had a lot more, and it didn't have too much in common with, except Absolutely. that you got pregnant, really. Was, Absolutely. Yeah. The, what me and my, my first child's father had in common was simply skin color. Yeah. I mean, we based, we based our, you know, our relationship off the fact that um, we're you know, two young, good-looking black people. But really, there was that's. I mean, if that's all that you have, then you know that's not a lot. And so, what I find is that, um, and the, the pushback that we get with interracial relationships is women who will say, you know, I, I don't think that I could date someone who isn't black because they don't understand me. <laughs> well, you know, or they won't understand what it's like to be black. Well, you know, I, I the the argument that I posit to them is, you know. Skin folk ain't necessarily kin folk. You know, just because you share the same skin color doesn't necessarily mean that that person is going to automatically, you know, understand you so much better. Yeah, well, and, look at the divorce rates. I mean, if you want to look at the divorce rates among different groups, I guess that would prove your point. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Black mar- uh, black people who are married have one of the highest divorce rates. Um, it's very sad. Uh, on the other hand. Black women who are married to non-black men, particularly white men, have one of the highest marriage rates, even higher than white men married to white women. White, yeah. Well, do you think, Crystalyn, that maybe they try harder because you are kind of set? I mean, people are looking at you. Let's face it, they're watching you. They want to. I'm not saying they want you to fail, but you know how that goes. It's mm-hmm. like, well, they, you know, and so the all, all eyes are upon you, and so you try harder. I mean, because you have to work at it, no matter what the relationship is. And my next question is, what? You know what are the like the unique characteristics of a black and white couple, and also, and then one other thing, and then I'll be quiet. But one other thing you said was that it's more. And I didn't. I I hadn't thought about this. It's more acceptable for 
a black man, an African-American man, to be with a white woman than the opposite. Right. Which uh, I didn't know, and maybe we want to talk, well... Yeah, I'll you know what, and I'll, I'll take that one on first. Okay. Um, the reason there's two reasons why I think that is the case. Um, the first reason is that they've just been doing it longer. <laughs> you know, um, black men have been dating interracially for a long time. Um, back in the 1800s, you know, um, yeah. you you have you have um, history of black men freed slaves marrying um, uh, white women. So it's not to say that they don't have um, issues that are associated or there, there's challenges and, and pushback, because there is, but I think that because they've been doing it for a lot longer, there's a lot less pushback from it. Whereas with black women, it's relatively recent. You know, I remember back in the 90s, um, the 80s and 90s was, was when we really saw black men sort of jump across the color lines in mass. And um, black women were really upset about that. And you can, you can see it sort of reflected in the movies at the time, you know, Jungle Fever and, um, and Waiting to Exhale. And you, you could almost feel the outrage that these black women had. It's like, I have march with you um for you know sit for our civil rights i have you know i have been there for you i have struggled with you and now that we have reached some modicum of success you leave me for a white woman and so the the sense of betrayal and outrage was there um you know during that time but it has since waned because um Men are going to do what they want to do, and yeah. so that leads to the to the to the second reason. Um, we live in patriarchal society. Um, it's a man's prerogative. Um, and what's interesting, though, is that a lot of black men don't really like to see black women date outside the race. And what we found was, and we talk about this in the book a little bit, is the is the double standard because I have some stories of a black woman out with a white guy and um, a black man who is out with a white woman who's looking at her with the stink eye. <laughs> like how could you? <laughs> yeah, well, that I can understand. It is a pay, I'll go. You know, it is a patriarchal society. Whatever color you are, black, pink, green, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think all of this kind of what you're talking about just carries through. You're so right when it comes to men choose who they want. I mean, traditionally, yes. men choose their partners, their spouses, their women they have affairs with, whatever it is. And and women have not been in the same position. No, absolutely not. Yeah. But we are ask, the chosen. We do no, not yeah. choose. We are the chosen. We are the chosen, exactly. So what would you say with you and your husband, because you've been married for 10 years, you have like four great kids, um, any particular specific kinds of things that you've had to wrestle with maybe that you didn't expect being a black and white couple? Uh, you know, honestly, we really have, we're pretty typical. And I'm grateful because you know, we live in Southern California and just on my street, there's another couple down the street in their middle age, actually going into elderly um, couple. She's black and he's white um, that live right on our street. Um, and so what I would say was that some specific challenges with um, raising a family, um, a multiracial family, is that I think that 
we were cognizant about where we lived and where we chose to, you know, uh, plant our roots. And you talk about in the book, maybe we should mention those places. I mean, I'm in New York, you're in California. I kind of, those are kind of maybe a given for, mm-hmm. you know, liberal states, let's put yes. it that way. But, yes. but some of them are kind of surprising. So you mentioned a few cities, or um, Janice did, your co-author, what, um, that are... That are swirl-friendly. Swirl-friendly. Yeah, <laughs> swirl-friendly uh, cities, actually. Yeah, and I mean, and these are places where you find a um, high incidence of of um, interracial relationships and couplings, and um, the the one of them that really surprised me was um, right smack in the middle of the United States, <laughs> Minneapolis, Minnesota, the Twin Cities. So uh, that was really. Um, a surprising for me because they, they they just sort of are in the middle and you know why that wouldn't surprise me having had a sister-in-law who lived there and a husband who was associated with the university the only reason when I saw that Minneapolis was that they have that huge university it's kind of mm-hmm. and they have a big art community so they have a lot of kind of like intellectual um, intelligent people um, surround you know surrounding the university and and that kind of thing so to me, that would make sense. Um, yes, um, yeah. absolutely. But, I mean, there are places that, you know, just virtually every state has a um, has a good university, but we don't necessarily yeah, see true. that. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it, it also has to come with culture over time. And so what we wanted to do, um, me and my husband, was that we tested. I mean, I can tell you that before we moved to our town, my husband said to me, um, Hey, hun, this town is pretty, is, you know, we've, we had moved from a place that was a little bit more racially diverse to a place that's a little less racially diverse. And I was okay with it, but my husband said, honey, are you sure you want to do this? Um, are you sure you want to move here? And you think, you know, the kids, you know, I don't, I don't know if the kids are gonna, you know, have problems. And so we really, you know, instead of just looking at the house and the school district, we had to take a few extra steps. I mean, we went there numerous amounts of time and watched how our kids interacted with the neighborhood kids. We watched to see if, you know, the other neighbors would talk to us. You know, we we went shopping in the neighborhood to see, you know, how many people were going to stare at us. I mean, so we did all of those things. Um, just to kind of gauge what it would be like to live there. And I, I don't think that a monoracial family would necessarily go to, to those measures. But I think that um, when it comes to children, we have an obligation to, to, to take those extra steps. Yeah, because... and, well, and especially if you have the choice. I mean, you, if you're in a position to do that, which... You know, you and your husband are. Yeah. And but you know, I was saying with the kids. So obviously, the the other children, it wasn't an issue or school yeah, or whatever. And I'm not. making that assumption. Everything was okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we live in a wonderful neighborhood, and our kids have lots of friends, and it's it's not an issue. But I can tell you that um, other regions of the country, the parents aren't so fortunate, and so I, you know, I tell. I advise parents of um, who are in interracial relationships to choose wisely, and it's not necessarily oh, it's the states, you know, because, because I mean, there's there's pockets of California and New York State that 
you really, you know, you might want to think twice about wanting to live um, if you're if you're a multiracial family. Um, so it really goes down to it boils down to not just state, but you know, neighborhood to neighborhood, street to street. You know, um, so I, I just think that you know it's a good gauge, but you really need to use your discretion. Well, it sounds like you made a good choice. Obviously, absolutely, and, yeah, we did. We love Temecula. It's absolutely yeah. wonderful. Now let's get it. There was some other kind of, I don't know if you call it fun stuff, but that you know, like if you're some of the myths, I guess, associated with dating a white man, and one of them, everybody likes to talk about sex, so I found that interesting, that black women think white men, or this is the myth, all white men have small penises, so don't date them. (laughs) Which is an absolute, total myth. You know, conversely, you know, not all black men have, you know, these penises. Yeah, these big, gigantic, you know, mandingo penises. Um, And then there's a lot of, you know, there's just a a lot of myths that go with like, oh, I couldn't be with a, you know, a a white man because it's pink. Um, Well, (laughs) does it work though? As long as it's work, as long as it works, I mean, you know. So, exactly. But yeah, but we 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 uh, gathered together all of those myths that we hear. Um, there, there was one that really was hilarious to me. Um, one particular woman who I think her aunt found out that she was going to marry a, a white man, and she said, "Don't come crying to me when he kills you." Because white men don't know how to leave their women like black men do, um, which I thought was hilarious. Because um, if she's been killed, I'm just not going to be able to come crying to anybody. Right, but, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, there's a there's a whole lot of, of 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 miscommunication out there, and I think that it's geared towards scaring black women into being too fearful to date interracially, and you have to think about what's the reasoning for that, you know, what's the reasoning that certain people would want black women to be fearful of dating interracially. You know, when you use the word interracially and we talk about different races, and I had had a professor, a black professor from, uh, she wrote this this book, I can't remember the title now, but, uh, you know, race is really just a, a socio-political construct, have, you know, which has to do with who gets what in, term, in, in, in our society. And that race, we're all we're all the same race. Yeah, we are all the same race. You know that (laughs) that human genome uh, thing is that we are ninety nine point nine 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 the same. So yes, absolutely, it's true. Yeah, Um, and and we use we use that term because there's really not another term that you know that we've really come along to to uh to replace the the word for race um I guess we could call people melanin challenged. Right, exactly. <laughs> melanin rich and melanin but, I mean, challenged. It's always such a good combination <laughs> to me. Well, you'll know where I am politically, but look at our president. He's like the perfect specimen of Absolutely. black and white, right? Be gorgeous, brilliant, blah, blah, blah. But yes, anyway. He is. He is well, gorgeous. I, we have to say goodbye. I, I love this topic, and I'd love to have you on the show again, but my next guest is here, and. Uh, so we have to say goodbye, but so I'll, again, I do want to mention the book again, so listeners can go and buy it. Swirling: How to Date, Mate, and Relate: Mixing Race, Culture, and Creed. And we've only touched, you know, upon a few things uh, today. You know, stuff that's in the book. Crystalline Karazin, and she wrote the book with Janice Rochelle Littlejohn. So 
uh, and you can go online to uh, Crystalline's blog. Beyondblackwhite.com. Right. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Thank you. Yeah, it was great talking to you. Bye. So we're going to just take a short break now because we uh, have our next guest, uh, author of How to Save Your Daughter's Life, Straight Talk for Parents from America's Top Criminal Profiler, Pat Brown. Don't go away. You are listening to The Catherine Zock Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Michelle Core Six Degrees is your connected consciousness. Six Degrees is what comes around, goes around radio. Committed to delivering a fresh perspective on thought-provoking, investigative information that can change your life. Six Degrees connects you to the social and emotional scene that is your trusted advisor. From finance to romance, mainstream to metaphysical. It's a positive, upbeat look at life, love, and the pursuit of passion. Get connected Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you are listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. We are live every Wednesdays, 10 to 11, and archive the show at the end of the day. Joining me this morning, top criminal profiler, Pat Brown, and author of How to Save Your Daughter, Straight Talk for Parents from America's Top Criminal Profiler, and she's the go-to person, the go-to expert for Nancy Grace and uh, many, many other shows, HLN, CNN, and MSNBC. So when something unfortunately catastrophic happens uh, with regard to uh, these uh, criminals and abductions and rapes, uh, uh, um, Pat is the one uh, who is the expert. But uh, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Well, thank you, Catherine. Glad to be here. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you know, you're the go-to person when somebody gets kidnapped or, let's say, a young girl or abducted or raped, you know, trying to find out who the perpetrator is. But this book, it seems like it's kind of a turnaround. You're saying, well, we don't have to wait for that. We can help our daughters and we can help them so that they, we can protect them, they can protect themselves so they don't find themselves in that kind of a situation. There are things that we can do not to be victims. Exactly. You know, when I do the television, a lot of times it's very frustrating to me because the questions are always about the perpetrators. Like, what kind of guy would do this? And I'm like, a psychopath. That's what kind of guy. And it's the same answer for every single crime. 
whether the girl's been date raped or she's been dragged down an alley and raped by a gang or she's been murdered by a serial killer or her boyfriend decides he's going to kill her and her unborn child, you know, whatever horrible circumstance we're talking about, the psychopath, the, the person who does the crime, the perpetrator, is always pretty much the same. He's a psychopath. And I can give you the same, you know, set of traits for each psychopath and People say, then why did he do it? Well, because she got in the way. She wasn't useful anymore. So, you know, or or she was, or it was fun to kill her, you know, one of those two things. Either it's fun or she got in the way. All right, so uh, what you're plan. saying, Pat, so, is these guys are all pretty much, the, I mean, they're sociopaths, they're psychopaths, however you want to label them, uh, or they wouldn't perpetrate, or they wouldn't do those kinds of crimes. Exactly, so, and we can't fix them, and that, that's the important thing that people need to understand is those guys are not fixable. Uh, you know, you, you, and especially after they've committed a crime, I mean, you can't go and, and turn them into a nice guy. It doesn't happen that way. And, and the fact is, they are out there in a society, uh, and of course, they're also psychopathic females, so before I start getting the hate mail that says, you're just really anti-men, <laughs> I want to point out, there are psychopathic females as well who can harm one's daughter, and I am going to write another book called How to Save Your Son's Life, because they also you know, have things to deal with and psychopathic people that they run into, both male and female. But so my Pat, whole point but, is but you to know what? help you avoid that. Uh, Pat, statistically, because, um, you know, in terms of numbers, isn't it true that men really, men, males, are the predators? Like, I mean, if you're talking about the ones, you know, the serial killers and the rapists and stuff, aren't they statistically much more prevalent than, than women who do the same thing or do it to young boys or I guess even to young girls? Yeah, well, I think men are more physical. I think that's where it comes right down. The men are more physical, and therefore, when you have a psychopathic male, he tends to act out in a more physical way than a female. So, therefore, we see more violent crimes being committed by men, and the females who are psychopathic are more manipulative and, you know, wrapping guys around the little fingers and, and ripping them off and doing other things to them, but they may not be committing a violent crime against them. They do commit violent crimes, but just not as often as, as males. So it's not that the psychopathy is necessarily worse with males. It's just the way they express it can be can be pretty tragic. Like when we look at the recent Jessica Ridgeway case, a little 10-year-old girl who was walking to school and got grabbed by that 17-year-old boy who then dismembered her body. I mean, you know, there aren't too many women who probably would do that. Um, there are some women who would, but mostly this is more of a guy thing that, the, the thrill of the the, you know, the abduction, the thrill of the power they have over killing, the thrill of the sexual assault, the thrill of ripping somebody apart tends to be more of a a male psychopathy than a female psychopathy. So they're more dangerous in the term, the sense of violent predators. And are they more dangerous when it comes to to young children or to uh, you know women? I always and this may be just my you know not having the knowledge, but I always think of like women as you say more manipulative, and if they're going to do these kinds of crimes, it's maybe with a, a partner, or a spouse, a lover, or somebody not necessarily children. Is that true or not? Is that just a myth? Well, the the thing about first of all, the thing about the guys is that they're more blatant. We 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 even see that with our with our children. The girls are sneakier, and the boys are like, "Look, I'm crushing this. Look, I'm crushing this uh, little animal." Yeah. <laughs> they do things more, you know, like, "Wow, you know, you're kind of like did that in front of me." You know, um, why are you doing that? Boys boys tend to be more in your face and 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 physical, and the girls tend to be sneakier. Um, but I think the important thing to realize is that it isn't necessarily also just the violent psychopaths that can affect one's daughter's life. 
the nonviolent ones can as well. They can mess her life up. And there's things that she she does herself, and this is what I always try to point out, it's our teens, sometimes their own behaviors that put them in risky situations. Sometimes it's their naivety. Sometimes it's their desire for excitement. Sometimes they just, you know, they're doing things that just put them in a bad company because they like being with a bad company. And we have to work with our girls not to go those directions. So we can't always just say, oh, you know, my, my daughter was the totally blameless, innocent victim. Uh, she, just, she was just walking down the street eating an ice cream cone and the guy jumped out of the bushes. I mean, that does happen. But a lot of times our girls are putting themselves in dangerous situations so their own behaviors get them in trouble. And people don't like to talk about that because they think we're blaming the victim. And that's not true. Getting into trouble, getting yourself into a bad situation isn't the same thing as committing a crime. I mean, if I walk down a really, let's say I walk down a very dark street at 3 o'clock, dark street at 3 o'clock in the morning in a really bad part of town, counting my money. Somebody's probably going to relieve me of that money really soon. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> you know? example. Yeah, yeah. And, what, and what's happened there is that they have committed a crime. I mean, I didn't commit the crime. I should have the right to walk down that street looking at my, my wallet if I want to. I didn't commit a crime. But you got to admit, that wasn't the brightest thing in the world to do. And I think if you talk about somebody getting relieved of a wallet walking around town in a dangerous area, you know, holding money out, people are not going to be so bent out of shape about you blaming the victim. They're going to say, well, that person was kind of stupid. But when we talk about girls uh, or young people doing things like, for example, jogging at dusk, jogging in the morning alone on trails, uh, you know, if you say, you know, that's not a wise idea to do that, immediately you get you're blaming the victim. Like, no, I'm not blaming the victim for the crime. But I am saying that there was a smarter way of dealing with things, and it's not too smart to go running alone as a female because simple fact is you make yourself a good target, and that's the reality of the world. I can't change that. So yeah, so these young girls, and that's a good example because I know, uh, and unfortunately, I probably know several young girls who do that, who like it in, in New York City, who go in Central Park during that time, you know, as you say, during dusk and. And really put themselves in danger. Um, and, and they okay, do, so, and then yeah. they think it. They think it's their. They, they a lot of times they're stubborn. Almost, it's like you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be forced to not do what I want to do just because I'm a woman. But you know, I, I one of the things people have said when some people have read my well, haven't actually read my book. Some people actually just uh, read some reviews about my book from somebody <laughs> who didn't like it, <laughs> and they say, well, you know, are you trying to lock your daughter up in the, the attic and say she can never go out and do anything? I mean, we're stepping back. You're you know making women chattel again, and I'm like, where are you getting these ideas from my book? I, I, it's not in there because I I am a pretty strong-minded woman, as most people know from watching me on television, yeah. and I've raised a daughter who is, uh, she's, she's now 31, she's a she's a corporal of the police department, she's a detective in child abuse, and she's, if anybody met my daughter, Jennifer, they know she was more retiring flower. Yeah. Um, and both of us, um, we, we're both big world travelers, we love going places, and I've traveled quite often alone, uh, but what I do before I travel is I, I try to understand where I'm going. I look at the lay of the land. For example, I was in Egypt right before the revolution. And, uh, you know, I knew that I looked at the culture of Egypt. I looked at where it was safe to be, how women should behave. And I'm not happy to say I have to agree with all of this, you know. I mean, I don't necessarily think that women should have to cover their heads. But, hey, if you don't want harassment, it's a really good thing to do in Egypt. So, you know, when I arrived there, the first thing I did was I went out on the main drag where all the shops are, and I bought myself some hijabs, and um, um, and I, I got different colors, and I immediately put them on. I wore them for the next three weeks in Egypt. And I cut the harassment rate down about 95%. 
said because I was dressed appropriately for that particular culture. Yeah, and uh, I, that, I mean, I have to agree with it, and I don't necessarily think it's fair, but if I want to be there, I want to also provide myself with safety. So, yes, it isn't fair that women can't walk down dark streets. It's not fair that we can't go running, you know, through parks alone. It's not fair, but it is reality. So what do we do about that? Just like when we travel, what do we do? We make plans to be safe. And we can we can do things like run, run at midday around a lake where people are going to see us. I have a lake I run at, and you can, you're never alone on the trail. Somebody's going to be with an eye shot. So that's a perfectly safe place for girls to run. Uh, okay, they so can that's run one example, like not putting yourself... So there's, like a, there's ways you can do things. You just It's true that there's a, some things you've got to be a little bit more careful about. Right, give and, us uh, another one as an example. What, what, okay, that's, that, I mean, that's, that's an obvious uh, one. That, that's an obvious one. Well, let's take the example of date rape. Um, we, we hear a lot about date rape these days, and we're, you know, we're, we know uh, always people are talking about how terrible you know these guys are that are date raping these girls, and it's become almost like a, a plague. And you know, and they have these reporting things at high schools and colleges. You report to us about date rape, so we can we can do something about it. The reality is, you rarely can take any date rape to court. So good luck with that one, because it's a he said, she said. But here's what happens with the girls. Generally speaking, uh, most of the time, date rape occurs around alcohol. And a lot of alcohol because our girls are going out to have fun. They, they want to be wild girls, so they go out and they start hitting those shots. And they are small people compared to the guys. And they cannot take the liquor like the guys can take the liquor. So here you have a guy and he's, he's tossing down beers and shots and he knows. So you get the, you get the, you get the uh, date rapist in the group and he sees you standing there, this 120 pound girl laughing and giggling. He gets her, she gets her shots. He, he gives her free shots because he knows that once she chucks down a few of those things, she's going to be completely out of it. And then he can he can manipulate her, say, "Hey, you know, let's go in the back room, let's go ch- let's go have a chat, or let's go, you know, whatever." And then she goes in the back room with him, or back to her place or his place, depending on their age. And so she she can hardly walk. And soon they're on the couch and they're kissing. And then the next thing she knows, he's on top of her and she can't hardly move. So eventually. Somebody's having sex with her, which is called rape, if she didn't say yes. But, you know, before she knows it, it's over, and she can't do a thing about it. Well, there are two things that stand out to me in that, Pat. It's like, number one, the alcohol consumption. Obviously, you have control over that, or you should, your daughters. Mm -hmm. And second, never. it would seem to me, and I have three sons, but if I had a daughter, I would tell her never to leave a place uh, to to go with any man, no matter how nice or who, or even if she hadn't been drinking, if you meet somebody in a place. That is correct. They should never, under those circumstances, they should never be with anybody they don't trust implicitly. Implicitly. The problem is, once you've had two drinks, you don't give a crap anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I think I gave the example in the book about going out to, going out to lunch. And I say to myself, you know, I'm on a diet. So I'm just going to have a glass of wine uh-huh. and um, a little teeny salad. I'm not going to have any of the bread and I'm not going to have any of this other Italian food. I'll just have a little wine and a salad. So I start having the salad. I start drinking the wine. About halfway through the wine, that bread looks really good. So I start eating bread. By the end of the wine glass, I've ordered dinner because mm-hmm. I just don't care anymore because <laughs> the wine has made me silly. Yeah, great so That's example. what happens to yeah. girls when they drink. They just start yeah. going, oh, he's cute, you know? Yeah. They get stupid. They get stupid, and well, it, I mean, as you're describing it, that I've had that scenario happen to me all the time with the wine and the, yes, and then two glasses, <laughs> and I'm ready to have a big steak and dessert after that. But 
Uh, and then also exactly. you have, the, I mean, uh, you know, with, especially I think with these teenage girls and young girls, college girls, I mean, you have the hormones raging too. I mean, let's, you can't deny that. So you've got a combination that, there. Yes, that's exactly correct. Yeah. And then one of the things that I really work on is in the book is trying to get you to first of all understand your own daughter because every one of our daughters is different. Mine, my daughter is different from somebody else's daughter. If I had more than one daughter, I'm sure they would be different from each other. You have different, each daughter has different needs and has different, uh, personality uh, and you have to look at that you have to understand your kid and it, it starts young and spending enough time with your your daughters to get to know them to know what what makes them tick what makes them happy what makes them excited and thrilled and what 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 they're drawn to because you know one girl may be very happy to practice her piano and the other one wants to go party you know and what do you you know you got to work with them to help them down those roads and help them to also slow going down certain roads. And there's one thing I point out in the book is that we're just, a lot of kids and a lot of girls are starting these things too young. They're dating too young. They're going to parties too young. They're just having too much free time too young where they can get into trouble and they don't have the, you know, the smarts, even though the parents sometimes think they do, to handle it. And the same thing with the Internet. You know, they, people, well, I want to, well, how do you I want to address that, though, but what you just said, they don't have the smarts. I, would, I think i take that a little, a little bit differently in the sense they may be very smart, but they don't have the judgment because they haven't had the experience. And I think sometimes right. parents get confused. They have a, a young girl who's smart, intelligent, talented, right. all I'm, I'm those kinds of things. I'm talking about smart. I'm not talking about smart. Yeah, okay. I'm not smart, talking about intelligent right. or IQ. Yeah. Yes, I mean, it's a two different things. It's like being streetwise and, you know, you know, and not being streetwise. I mean, there's simply, uh, you know, when you're young, I mean, if we look back into our days of being teenagers, <laughs> you know, some <laughs> things that we did weren't the brightest things in the world, and we could tell our mothers like 10 years later, guess what really happened that day? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I've got some of that, like yeah. That. You know, so, you know, it's, it'd be, be realistic. I mean, we're not even that smart sometimes as adults, you know, as far as our behavior goes, <laughs> because there's a thing called needs. And desires, needs and desires can overrun our sense of, you know, a sense of logic, and what what's the, what's a good thing to do. For example, one thing I point out in the book is, you know, when you have a single mom, single moms get lonely. They want to have a male in their life, a, a partner in their life, somebody to spend time with. So they start going on, you know, Craigslist or on a, a Match dot com and trying to meet somebody, and they meet this guy, and they think he's really nice, and then they start dating him, and three weeks later, he's moved into the house with your teenage daughter. And, and you know, and you, and you did it. Why? Because you were lonely, because you had those needs to be with somebody. And that is not a wise idea, and apparently what happens there is the mother is putting her needs before her daughter's needs, and her daughter does not need that man to be in the house. So these are things I talk about. Sometimes we, we, we can do damage to our daughters ourselves. Not our, sometimes it's not our daughter's behavior. It's our own <laughs> that puts our daughters in, in danger. And then I one day you come home find I her with that guy yeah, because she wants I, to be with him. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I have another question. What about perpetrators? Do you think that they have a sense they know who they can do it to? I mean, did, that, that they, is, is that... Is that a myth, or is that something that they they sense? Uh, whoever, oh whoever no, that is. yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a there there there. Perpetrator looks for the appropriate victim. Uh, you know, he's he's going for the easy kill essentially. Whether he whether it be a rapist, a serial killer, or a boyfriend who just wants to control somebody, he's going for the one that is going to make it easy for him to get what he wants. For example, you know, I always joke about this. I say you you will not find a 220 pound six foot woman ever attacked by a serial killer. When was the last time you ever saw a big girl attacked by a serial killer? Never. They go for little teeny packages because 
they're easier to assault, they're easier to drag around, they're easier to stuff in your car trunk. I mean, it's just practical, you know. People don't like to hear it, but that's the reality. So if you if your girl is like fighting for the MMA, she probably is okay walking down the street, <laughs> you know. She yeah. probably can take care of herself. But you know, if your girl's five foot two, hundred and ten, she's in trouble. So that that's a that's a physical issue that you know some of the perpetrators will look for. But there's also emotional issues that they will hone in on. They will, for example, gangs. They look for the girl who doesn't really have the family behind her, who's looking for a family. They'll move in on your girl. And then one day you find your girl has gang, gang tattoos on her, you know, and you're like, what happened here? Well, you know, apparently her family wasn't there enough for her, so she found another one. Uh, uh, abusive boyfriends. They'll look for the naive girl who will, who's usually very sweet and forgiving. And, and oftentimes when I see a, a girl killed um, by her boyfriend, I find she's just the nicest girl in the world. She's just too nice. In other words, when when he started talking to her and she said something like, oh, for example, he says, oh, let's go get something to eat. And she goes, yeah, I feel, I really feel like pizza. And he goes, oh, no, pizza, that's not, that's not going to be any good. Let's go have Chinese. And she goes along with it because, you know, he wants Chinese. Well, hey, what happened to your feelings? Why did he just dish your pizza, like, immediately? When he starts telling her, you know, I really like it better when your hair is this way. And then she changes it for him. He says, aha. I got somebody here who will do just be really, really nice to me, even if I'm rude or even if I exhibit some bad behaviors. She keeps forgiving me and saying, "Oh well, you know, he'll, maybe he's just not mature. Maybe he just, you know, she'll make up excuses for him because she's she's such a nice person. She wants him to him. Parents should be looking for these red flags if they see their daughter, let's say, involved with somebody like this. These are the kinds of things they should be looking for if they see the, this kind of behavior in their daughter. The, I, well, just, hopefully you know, they find it that, before he, they get involved. You don't want to stop it before it happens. Before it happens. Yeah. And define, I have a last, you know, I don't know if this is going to be the last question or not, because we only have a couple, a few more minutes. But I want to ask you this, because some of these high-profile cases that you've been involved with, Pat, what about, are there any of them that you could have, that you think about that could have been prevented, like, that were preventable? Um, a, a good portion, like 90% of them. 90 Could be prevented in some way or other uh, because, of, I say, because the woman was either naive or foolish or, you know, behavior or, or didn't see it, didn't see it coming when the signs were there. Talk to us you know, about people, one that we would you know, know about. Would, huh? Talk to us about one we know about. Give us, an, you know, like one of the ones that... Uh. that I mean, oh, I think, for example, um, you know, I'm going to try to come up with one off the top of my head. I always do so poorly with that. Well, um, Natalie, what's her name? Uh, so, take an example, um, perhaps uh, Susan Powell. There were, you know, that is a, such a sad case. She was such a delightful, delightful young woman. But her, you know, there are people around her who did see problems with Josh Powell early on before they got married. All right, talk they to us about Susan. Who'll give us they the saw that he had characteristics Powell. they did not like. But she went ahead and married him anyway. And, uh, you know, and she was, I think, I personally think she's just a very naive, uh, very forgiving type of person. She just was, and that's why he picked her. That's exactly why he picked her. And, you know, unfortunately, the family couldn't, you know, really seem to convince her early on to recognize these things. Um, I don't know how well they recognize them themselves, but, you know, I think uh, Susan Powell's sister admitted that there were signs there early on and problems early on. So there, there are. Many times we minimize, that's one of our big problems, we minimize things that are negative. And we, because we have hope, because we want to see a good outcome, because we, I guess we just have, we just want to believe that things could, could be good. And so we tend to minimize things. We also tend to fear, fear that we're never going to get 
something. If we give kind of, you know, if you don't get it today, it's not going to be on sale tomorrow type of thing, so we grab for it. Instead of saying, you know, I could wait a little longer. I could wait a little longer before I get involved in a relationship with this, a sexual relationship. I could wait longer before I bring this guy into my children's lives. I, I could wait. I could wait for, you know, not, I could not party with these people because I don't really know them. I could wait to party with people I trust implicitly. I could do it another day. It's one of these things where I think we, we just grab hold of the horns too often without stepping back and, and, and asking ourselves, is it wise? And that's what we have to teach our daughters to do. We have to, sometimes we have to do it for our daughters. We can simply have to say, we, you know, we just don't allow dating until this age because we do not think you're old enough and mature enough to, to deal with it. Or we do not allow you to go to parties at people's houses that we do not trust and we do not have parents at home. Sorry. You know, yes, you're 16 years old, but it doesn't mean you can go to some girl's house and hang out in the basement and have, you know, party with her friends when you don't know any of those people or the parents. No, you can't do it. Sometimes we have to make the choices for our daughters. Um, if they, you know, if we need to. And I think a lot of parents aren't stepping up to the plate in that. They're giving in to letting their daughters run the show, saying, well, you know, I don't want to piss her off. You know, I don't want her not to like me. Well, you know, you're a parent, and it's your job. I think part of the problem is, though, you have some parents who they themselves behave, and we'll take mothers, for instance, who behave the same way. So, you know, for them to be protecting their daughters in this way, it's not so easy for them because they they, they don't they themselves don't have the... The, the, the smarts or the judgment or, or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Well, that's I, why, yeah, that's yeah. why I have that chapter in the book that says, are you the problem? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, are, are you doing drugs? Are you yeah. drinking? Are you, you know, we have to, we have to you know, clean up our own house sort of if we want to raise kids in a good one. Yeah, I, that's, yeah, exactly. And that's, um, I think that, I think that's a big problem, especially today. And I think it's getting worse because I think some of these mothers and these parents have uh, gone a very similar route that their daughters are going and, and, you know, that's what is this on the rise that this is the last question because we have only two min- minutes left, but um um are there more serious, you know, people will ask me, do you think are there more of these heinous crimes against women or is it just that there are more people and it's more publicized, or is it just or is the problem getting worse? I think the problem is getting worse because I do think we have an increase in psychopathy. I think we have an increase in psychopathy among young people. So that's why we're seeing the teen murders, which we I don't remember seeing anything of before. Um, I think date rape has increased dramatically because we have girls partying and drinking too much of people they, you know, can't trust. Um, I think that's just skyrocketed. Um, I think our girls with the freedoms they have at a very young age and mixed with alcohol, drinking, and sex has caused our girls to go down a lot of really not-so-great roads with not-so-great people where they become victimized. And, and you know, and... It's true. Well, I don't really want to go back to days where you can't to... leave the house, but you know we we could at least make it safer. Right, exactly, and I, you know we'll leave it on that one because uh, those are all the reasons to go out and buy your book, How to Save Your Daughter's Life. <laughs> well, there's a Straight lot more, and I deal with a lot America's of subjects in the book. Profile, Pat Brown. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, yeah. Catherine. We're going to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you have been listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a good week, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.